Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Whitetail Theories podcast. Today on the mic, we got special guest, Josh Zuko. Am I pronouncing your last name correctly? Yep, that's correct. You might be the first person oh, ever I, to get it, get it correct the first time. <laughs> I, I, I'm usually not skilled like that, but every now and then uh, a blind squirrel finds a nut. So today we're going to kind of be talking about the hunter's mentality. And I don't want to really kind of dive into it yet and start working into the intricacies about it. Uh, why don't you tell me about yourself? Uh, your background, where you're from, how you got into hunting, and uh, we'll go from there. Perfect. Uh, well, I'm Josh Sukel. I'm 26 years old. I uh, reside in the Appalachian foothills of Ohio. Uh, I hunt, to be exact, I hunt Stark, Carroll, and Tuscross County. So I'm, I'm in pretty much the heart of deer country here in Ohio. Uh, I began deer hunting at a pretty young age. As soon as I was able to walk, I was, you know, in the woods with my dad, either on trap lines, finding sheds, you know, finding mushrooms. But uh, I like to believe that I'm probably the most unsuccessful, successful person you'll probably meet. <laughs> uh, I say that because uh, I've had some opportunities in my years of deer of a lifetime that either I just, the experience didn't allow me to, you know, f you know, complete it or just God had other plans. But, um, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy deer hunting. It's something that, you know, my dad and uncle, which are two of my biggest figures in my life, uh, they're big deer hunters. They're both pretty successful. You know, they have some pretty good deer on the wall. So I try to walk in their footsteps and uh, kind of go from there, you know, try to, I'm trying to build my own path, which is, it is what it is. But I think, I think building your own path is really important. Um, I kind of stress that a lot as far as like the information that you read online about hunting is not really like a, a word for word textbook of how to go about it. What you need to do is you need to pull information from that and then make it fit to the best of your abilities or what your personality is to be successful. Like uh -huh. implement that in your own like style, if you will. Oh yeah. I agree completely. You know, uh, you know, there's never like a complete 100% right way and there's never a 100% wrong way. So what I like to do is, you know, if I like the ideas you share with me and I like the ideas somebody else shares with me, I put in like in a mixing pot and I pick and choose like the ways that fit the way that I hunt. You know, exactly. if you're, you know, if you're very conservative, you're patient, you know, you're not going to hunt like someone like me that, you know, I'll hang in, I'll hang a stand in an hour, you know, and hunt it that night or, what, you know, whatever the situation may be, but it's, it's something there's old heads, as you would call them, they're, they're stuck in their ways. And I don't, I don't know if I necessarily agree with all of it, but they do have a good foundation to help guys learn and to grow on. And, you know, nobody wants to be a cookie cutter. Not everybody's the same. So that, that relates yeah. to hunting as well. I want to rewind here a little bit. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit, or why don't you tell us one of those stories where uh, you screwed up on a, a deer of a lifetime? All right. <clears throat> this is actually, uh, this is a heartbreaking story. So uh, I was 16 years old. I can tell you plain as day. It was Black Friday. It was about 50 degrees. Uh, my father's farm, he has some big open hardwoods that, uh, tons of acorns, tons and tons of acorns. And that week prior 
they cut the cornfield, which is about six, 700 yards away from this oat flat. So I had a feeling that these deer were going to be hitting the acorns because, you know, we got a cold front coming in. Uh, it's the stand, believe it or not, it's called the meat stand. I gave it as a, gave the name to it. Because if you want to just shoot a deer, you could probably go there in a half an hour, any any time of the year and shoot a deer, you know, a doe, whatever. But mm-hmm. um, I was sitting there and I had about seven, eight does below me. They're munching on acorns, making their way towards down to the, the cornfield. And I saw a glimpse up on the ridge, maybe four or 500 yards away, of what I thought was a absolute monarch. Uh, this is before I really got heavy into like scouting, or I should say not scouting, I should say putting trail cameras out and trying to keep like an inventory of the deer. So I was like, you know what, that's just, you know, my mind playing games on me, you know, I'm just going to wait it out. About 45 minutes later, uh, the deer below me, they kind of get real skittish. And, you know, my, my wind's good, you know, wind's blowing the opposite way, thermals, you know, uh, there's, there's no way they could win me. But I looked up and I looked out the ridge in front of me and I see something coming through the trees. I'm like, okay, you know, that, that looks like a buck. So I, I'm looking at binoculars and he steps out about 50 yards and it was the biggest deer that I've ever physically seen that it was something you see like when you go to the Cabela's like the whitetail cave and mm-hmm. that's what it looked like you know close to a 200 inch deer and wow. he's just standing there 50, 50 yards away looking at the does below me and that area typically our does coming into heat more towards the end of the rut you know like that right around that time like that week of thanksgiving we have a lot of bucks still chasing does down there which you know theoretically if you go by what a lot of social media says like that's that's like post rut you know you're after the peak uh but he walked in and he took about a half hour to walk to 20 yards and he would stop and he would stare at the does the only thing he would move you would see his ears just barely rotate, just barely, just barely move. And uh, he walked in. I couldn't shoot. I wasn't going to take a, a quartering two shot on a, a buck of a lifetime, you know. And he turned and he went to like my east. So he went to my right and he got behind a big oak tree. I drew my bow and we stepped out into the opening. I, I, I shot and I'll never forget the rush. I watched my light and not go. I'm like, oh, my God. I just shot a Boone Crockett. You know, I'm thinking North American whitetail. You know, here I come. You know, I, I did it. And I hit a twig. <laughs> and I watched, my, I, I watched my arrow go just into the abyss. I never saw my arrow again. And uh, unfortunately, that deer got poached a couple wow. – uh, about, about a week later, a uh, gentleman down the road about two miles away from our farm – shot him on our opening day of gun season and uh it was his like third buck he shot that year and it scored 198 inches so wow yeah that uh i was heartbroken but i you know i told myself you know hey i was 16 years old you know i was 10 years ago you know i was like i got plenty of opportunities to have out of deer like that but if you really think about it that's probably realistically due to 200 inch deer that's un- that's unheard of but it- it's never not out of the picture i guess in ohio because you never know in yeah. ohio it's it, it, we're i'm very blessed to be where i'm at 
Yeah, I was gonna say it definitely depends on where you're where you're hunting at. But I mean, as far as like PA, I think in like my entire hunting career, I might have seen maybe five pictures of deer that went 200 inches, and every single one of them was either poached or hit by a car. Yeah, yeah, that's the uh, like where I'm at. I can tell you in probably a 10 mile radius of 10 deer that go over 160 inches, you know, which wow. that's, that's insane. If you think about it, it's, yeah, uh, it really is. It really is. So uh, you, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. As you say, like, you know, the genetics are there and that's a big thing. People don't realize is you know, uh, last year or the year before the neighbor shot like 180 inch deer you know so the genetics are there they just need the age and they need they have everything they need they, they got dense cover you know we got perfect bedding for them we're in spoil uh spoil pile country you know where they reclaimed it and you know our spoil piles are just thick dense small full of rows you know they they, they got their bedding and we got cornfields you know natural minerals you know they, they have everything they they can they need to get the size they just need the age and that's they just need the time it, they, they just need the time you know they they need to blossom but so when you were saying about kind of um old timers being stuck in their ways why do you think that mentality exists that mentality i think exists because it was successful for them at a young age and when they first, you know, they first started deer hunting, you know, if they did it one way and they shot a deer that way, and the next year they shot another deer that way, they always believed that no matter what, if they do it that way, there's still the chance of them shooting a deer because it's worked for them in the past. If that, if that, if that makes sense, you know, like, you, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And that's the same way. Like they know if they sit on this, oak flat eventually eventually if they put enough time in the seat they're gonna see a deer that fits their their criteria to shoot you know they're not trying to do the you know like for someone like me i try to hunt like a high percentage hunt you know i don't hunt to hunt i hunt on a day that i think that i'm gonna have my best chance of shooting the deer i want to shoot or one of the deer that i want to shoot if that makes sense yeah no so kind of just to piggyback on what you're saying there do you think potentially a lot of that is due to uh the mentality of today where it's more based off of targeting a more mature animal or a certain size of an animal uh than it is or than it was back then where it was more so to supplement your family as far as food or like all you wanted to do was like I can remember when I was young, any time that I came back from hunting, it was, the question was, did you get your buck? It was never like, how big was that buck? How old was that buck? So on and so forth. Do you think that the whole kind of mentality has changed and that's why you see people like that from an older generation, quote unquote, being stuck in their ways because just of the way, just the way that they were targeting animals? Uh, I I think so. 100%. You know, I think, uh, back in the day, there was more of a, a tradition of hunting. You know, opening day of shotgun season here was like a, a holiday. You know, everybody went out. School was closed. 
and it was more the the idea of like oh my god you shot a deer you know my dad tells Mm -hmm. like my dad tells me the story all the time when he was in high school he was at a wrestling tournament and my uncle shot a button buck and everybody lost their mind they're like you have a picture of it i can't believe you shot a deer (laughs) you know what i mean and nowadays it's like oh my gosh you shot a button buck like you're you're gonna get crucified you know like it's uh nowadays everybody just you know they watch people on tv and everybody wants to be you know like michael waddell you know that's that's what's happening there's that false sense of reality nowadays and you know they they go ahead (laughs) what did the what did the deer population used to be like in ohio was it kind of like pa where it's like i know when i started hunting um when i was 12 like you'd see 50 doe before you'd see your first buck and nine times out of 10, it'd be a spike buck or a forky. And that's what you were going after just because the, the population was just so skewed. Uh, was it kind of like that as well in Ohio? Uh, maybe not when you started hunting, but when, when your uncle and your father did. Um, from my understanding was they, they didn't, there wasn't a lot of deer around here when uh, they were, they were getting started. So when typically like when they saw a buck like it was it was something to talk about. You know, my dad's first buck he ever shot was a 147-inch 8-pointer. You know, like that's the first buck he ever shot and you know it, it's still some areas are still this way. You know, you might not see a lot of deer, but when you do see a buck, usually he's he's something, you know, talk about like where I hunt, I'm I'm very fortunate. I hunt close to a residential area that's you know, it's about 2,000 acres that nobody can hunt. So I have a lot of deer, a, l- a lot of deer, you know. And, uh, you know, my dad tells me every time he comes up and hunts, it's, it's crazy because to see 18 deer tonight's pretty common. And it blows his mind that there's that many deer and he's not used to it. And mm-hmm. he he strongly believes in, you know, growing up, I wasn't allowed shooting does because he remembers hunting and not seeing yeah. deer, he, he doesn't want to go back to that. You know, he doesn't want to go back to not seeing deer. And now they're like rats. I, I you know, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. They're 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 here. It's just they have their pockets. You know, you got areas that just, you know, where where I'm at around here, we're starting to get into like micro parcels. You know a big form sells and then it's all broken down to 20 or 30 or less acre parcels and then everybody hunts it. So you're having deer, you know, to go from point A to point B, they're going through like four different landowners and well, everybody feels, you know, well, I want to shoot a doe or I want to shoot a doe or I'm going to shoot a buck. And then eventually, you know, by the time they get to B, <laughs> you lost a couple along the way. So, but it's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's a really good point when you talk about um, as far as like the biology of deer and, and deer herd dynamics, when you do get those micro habitats and it starts getting broken down and you have that hunter pressure there like that, it probably doesn't take a whole lot to reduce that deer population pretty quick. Oh, it, it's, it's, you'll see it when uh, like a parcel that never really been haunted and you know, two, three laters after it's been pressured, you don't see the deer in the fields like you used to. And I, I know that's not a, an accurate number, but a lot of it also has to do in Ohio, we're a lot of bait. So, mm-hmm. 
you know, you got six parcels within a 200 acres circle and every single person has a corn pile that really changes the game too. You know, that the deer that I once were, were seeing are now going to, you know, Joe Smith's corn pile because instead of going to 200 yards, now it's a hundred yards and right. you know, deer are lazy, you know, they don't want to go as far as they have to, you know? Right. But no, that's a good point too. So, uh, last question here before we kind of get in the meat potatoes of the, the podcast, what is one thing that you know now that you wish you knew about hunting 10 years ago? Going back to what I talked about earlier is using cell cameras or trail cameras in general. I use, I mostly run cell cameras now is logging the information from previous years about trail cameras. And I say that because I have a window where typically I see my first nice buck show up. And it's usually, I can tell you, it's from October 16th to the 21st where I hunt. That's when I typically see my first buck that's worth talking. Like, that's not a deer that I've had on camera show up. And I wish 10 years ago I would realize, like, hey, you know, if you play a a strategic game of knowing, Hey, you know, October 16th to the 21st, typically there's bucks moving through here, working, you know, community scrapes that keep that in the back of my mind and try to capitalize on that instead of being reactive, be proactive. Gotcha. It, and that's, that's kind of what I've been trying to do here in recent times to be more proactive rather than reactive. Cause usually when you're reactive, you're late, you're late to the party the opportunity to shoot that buck that's been daylighting is no longer it's it's gone you know uh, but that's something you learn with age you know i also when i was growing up i loved the waterfowl hunt so first first buck over 120 inches he was getting smoked every year because i just wanted to go shoot ducks that we don't have <laughs> mm-hmm. but you know how that goes right right priorities exactly. priorities change but now you know i love to deer hunt and it's super relaxing you know even if i'm not seeing the deer that one it's just being in the woods is you can't beat it it's really interesting the how you mature as a hunter as far as what you initially start out and what your goals are and then you look back 10 years later and how they've changed to something completely polar opposite yo yeah you know when i was younger i if I had an hour to hunt, I was clawing into the closest tree stand to, the, to my access point as I could just to sit, you know, because I'm like, I just need five minutes, you know. Mm-hmm. It only takes five minutes, five seconds for a buck of a lifetime to walk through. And now I'm more like, hey, you know what? It's 70 degrees and sunny. They're not going to move until, you know, last five minutes of daylight anyways. It's not worth getting in the tree stand and bumping deer on the way out. And those cell cameras really make that easy to prove your theories correct so what what kind of cameras are you running what i run cell cams are you running i run coverts gotcha. that yeah that, you have pretty good success with those oh i love it i i love them just the pure fact that i can sit on my couch i don't have to stink up the woods i know what's coming through my property instantly you know as soon as it walks in front of the camera you know it's it's like christmas oh i got a notification covert wireless what, what do I got, you know? Oh, it's just a deer, or it's just a doe, or it's a skunk, or it's a coyote, you know? And that, that really helps me, too, because uh, 
I have a lot of fields where I hunt. So when I see a coyote, it's only a hundred yard walk and I can shoot across the field and shoot that coyote that just walked by, you know, that, that really, <laughs> that helps with fawns, you know, cause they're killer yeah. on fawns. Yeah, no, for sure. All right, Josh, let's dive into the meat and potatoes here and let's really kind of discuss, uh, the topic, which is going to be, you can't kill what's not there. And, you had approached me about this topic, and I think it's something that really needs to be talked about because you hear it every now and then on forums and, and Facebook groups, this and that, but I think for the most part, especially for a hunter that's new or is kind of in that like in-between stage where they're, they're maybe like an intermediate and looking to go to that next level, they, they, they still don't fully understand the concept. So like when, when, did this mentality start for you this what 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 was your mentality actually when you first started hunting my first mentality when i first started hunting was to be honest i you know we didn't run trail cameras we hunted you know trails that we've known deer cross every every day for the past 30 years and it we played the if factor you know what if he walks by that trail today or what if the neighbor bumps him out of the bedding area and he comes by? And that's what I, I played. You know, if the stars align, I'll shoot a buck tonight. You know, if if God's going to bless me with a deer tonight, uh, you know, that's kind of where it, it started. And the phrase actually came when I was a youngster. I always want to go duck hunting. And my dad would go, well, you can't kill what's not there. You know, if there's no ducks migrating down, you can't go duck hunting. And as I got older, you know, social media took off, you know, people were saying like, oh, if you put a food plot in, you put minerals out, you do this, you're going to kill 150 plus inch deer every year, but you can't kill one if your habitat, your ecosystem, your environment, wherever doesn't support 150 inch deer. And that's kind of stuck with me you know you see people on tv be really successful and it just clicked to me like well i can't kill a 170 inch deer if i don't have a 170 inch deer to, to kill and it's a, it's a tall it's a tough reality to the grass that people almost need a reality check sometimes but i'm not being rude or you know being harsh but sometimes if you're dealt that that deck that's kind of how you got to take it you know no i totally but, agree and this is the confusing part to me Right. So I know that I kind of went through this stage as well. Like I wanted to target trophy deer at an age where I didn't have the skill set to really be targeting trophy deer. And it turned to, turned out to be like a setback for me where if I was plugging like 100 inch bucks, 115, whatever, whatever I considered a decent animal uh, at that time for that location, I would have gained so much more experience and be potentially leaps and bounds of where I'm at now. But ultimately what I'm getting at is where do we get this mentality that there's a 180 incher behind every tree? Because I can count on probably maybe one or two hands, how many deer that I've seen over 150 inches in person in PA. It goes back to social media. That's it's it's sad because you watch people on TV and they put 
two, you know, years of worth of work into a 30-minute video of them shooting a 160-inch deer on a farm that is larger than most of, you know, it's, you see people on TV, they, they hunt 5,000-acre farms, ranches, whatever. So they, they have everything they can produce 150-plus-inch deer. So people think, you know, oh, my God, if I put my big and J out there or whatever, it's going to produce 150-inch deer because so-and-so on so-and-so did that and that happened for them. But people don't realize that that's not all what it takes to produce big quality deer. And I, it's go dis- ahead, go ahead. it's discouraging because you see a lot of people, you know, like, oh, Zook, you know. I put my food plot in this year. You know, I got my feeder rolling. I don't have any bucks worth talking about. Like, I don't, I'm not even going to hunt this year. And it's sad because they think that if they put their food plot, they put feed out, they put mineral, that they're, that's going to happen for them. And it, but, it, but, but here's where I have the disconnect with that, right? Yeah. So I can see, like, LeBron James driving a Ferrari and X whoever driving – a Rolls Royce, you you name whatever celebrity. Yeah, I don't ever think that I'm going to own a Rolls Royce or a Ferrari. Like that's where I'm uh, I'm not understanding how people are disconnecting from. Basically, it, it's it's almost the same thing. Yeah, like how are you dis? How are you, like, able to realize like, yeah, I'm not in a position where I'm going to be able to own a Ferrari, but you think that you're in a position where you're able to kill a 180 inch deer. You know it's- what I mean? It's the F factor. You know, that's that's the biggest thing with whitetail hunting. You know, if you break down your percentages of successful hunts, you know, you're talking it's a tiny, tiny, tiny number, and people still mm-hmm. hold on to that the tiniest percentage that, oh, my goodness, you know, if the stars align and, you know, like I find 24-leaf clovers on the way to end, you know, I'm going to shoot a <laughs> 100-inch deer, you know. It, I'm not saying – I'm not saying like – I'm not saying it can't happen. Mm-hmm. Because you see it every year, especially in Ohio. You get somebody comes from Cleveland, goes to the Southern Ohio, grabs their daddy's shotgun that they inherited 30 years ago, going deer hunting for the first time ever, and they shoot a, a Boone and Crockett, and they don't even know what it is because it happens. You have luck. You know, I'd rather be lucky than good any day of the week. And and people see that, you know, like, oh, you know, so and so, his first day of hunting, he shot 200 inch deer, and that can happen to me. That can happen to me if, you know, you, you, you know, and it's, it's people almost just need a reality check about it. <laughs> it sounds terrible, but, you know, it, it is it is what it is. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a realist in that aspect. You know, if I know that, hey, I haven't seen, you know, we got a lot of soybean fields around here. You know, if I don't see a deer that's, you know, 150-inch deer, I'd say, well, you know, the odds of me shoot 150-inch deer this year aren't very high i'm not gonna roll it out but you know i just need to find you know hot doe comes by and he came from three ridges over and next thing you know he's in front of my tree stand but the percentage of that happening you know tiny tiny but i guess you know there's always a chance there's always a chance for it to happen but yeah i mean i guess maybe that's what like is the the blatancy about it like becoming a millionaire or somebody like LeBron James where you can own a Ferrari or 10 Ferraris like that's potentially way out on the spectrum but seeing like an average Joe Blow like we've all seen the memes of uh, Dwight from 
the office, uh, that's the dude where he's wearing the orange cap. That's the guy that's going to shoot the, the buck that you've been after all season. <laughs> that, yeah. that meme. So, I mean, it, it does happen. So I guess there is a chance there, and that's what people are just holding on to. Yeah. Uh, that, they, you, they log on to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and they, they, they see everybody shooting deer, and they're like, well, that's gonna, I'm going to be the next one. You know, and that that really kills the vibe. You know, they don't realize that, you know, maybe the, the spot they're hunting is not, you know, not the spot to be. That's, I'd much rather have five acres of the best whitetail hunting than 500 that's a barren wasteland, you know. Right. And, and it's crazy how different parcels are, you know, you have different results. But Did you, did you go through, like, the that mentality like where you just thought you were or you were just chasing animals that didn't exist yeah <laughs> all the time you know like i would uh walk up and i'd see a giant rub on a tree and i'm like oh that's probably a 180 inch deer i'm gonna kill him you know and you find out that it was some like little forky rubbing a big big pine tree <laughs> you know it's mm-hmm. because you see that you know you watch like I said, I, I was guilty of it. You know, I watch people, you know, I just need, I just need one buck to walk by. That's all I need. You know, I tell myself, you know, just, you know, maybe today is the day that the neighbor takes a walk in his woods and he bumps up 150 inch deer and he, he walks over and it, or as I mentioned earlier, you know, I hunt close to a residential area that nobody can hunt. I always, I catch myself still, you know, I'm like, dude, you know, that there's just, nice thick bedding area so you know someone loses their dog and they go walking in there trying to find their dog and next thing you know they bump up a 150 inch deer and he comes over the hill and i got a 20 yard chip shot you know i'm not gonna roll it out i pray for it every day but i know it's not gonna happen but i still try to you know i i, I realize it's not gonna happen and I, I don't put all my eggs in one basket that it is and people do that that's naturally human mentality yeah like i was just thinking now you look at like the lottery, right? Yeah. The lottery gets played by millions of people in the United States every day. And your likelihood of winning it is like one in a billion, but you see the lottery numbers just keep stacking up and stacking up and stacking up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, is that just, is that just human mentality? Like that's just the way you were hardwired. Yeah. I think it's just like being optimistic. You know, nobody wants to go out in the woods and go, I'm not going to see anything today. You know, I I, don't, I know I'm not going to see anything and just have a negative mindset. So I think it's just like reassurance, you know, that, hey, it can happen. You know, don't give up. You know, I can still punch my tag. It might be, you know, December 13th and I hadn't shot a buck yet. But, hey, you know, it can happen still. You know, buck finds a feed source in here that they like and he rolls in makes a home and I, I can kill him but I think people just they don't nobody you know I mean like nobody wants to sit in the woods and just be a Debbie Downer the whole time so they just hold on to that little sliver of false hope and but see they, I think there's a I think there's a difference between uh being positive and always thinking being confident that you think that you're going to yeah. kill an animal and then being or thinking in a way that like you're going to kill a unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely like being like, there's days where I feel like, Hey, I'm going to kill so-and-so 
you know, I had a buck. Mm-hmm. I named Elmer Fudd. I was like, you know what? I'm going to kill Elmer Fudd today. Like that. I'm going to kill him 100%. And, you know, that's different because, you know, I relied solely on my cameras. Like I'm just going off of like a high percentage. You know, I wasn't hoping that Elmer Fudd was going to make an appearance. I knew he was going to make an appearance. It's just if I was going to get shot or not. And unfortunately he came out further down the wood line in the field that I wanted and I couldn't get shot. But that, that knowing deer and knowing deer movements gives you that, that confidence, you know, that I don't, you know, if you know what I mean, like, you, you know, those days in November where you wake oh, yeah. up and you're just like, Oh dude, the deer are going to be moving. Like I'm going to, I'm going to see some deer and you go out there and it's just like, the rats are running everywhere and you're like, Oh my goodness. You know, I love it. And then there's some days you get in the tree saying, you're like, woods don't feel right. You know, it can happen, but you know what? It, uh, there's going to be a chance that's not. And you just, you kind of just know if you, if you take the time to watch deer and study deer, and understand them better, you, you get an idea of what's going to happen. And so, for a person that's listening into the podcast that maybe hasn't had those kind of experiences or um, maybe just doesn't know, it's like, let's just say they're brand new at hunting. So what are those experiences that you've had where you've incorporated that into like a history where like, all right, the weather's right, it's cloudy, I know deer are going to be on their feet all day long, bucks are going to be chasing, something some type of weather fronts coming in all right i know deer are going to be on their feet eating uh that kind of stuff because i i literally just had this conversation last night how important it is to be able to read deer and basically make context clues about what's about to happen in front of you before it even happens and i don't think there's a whole lot of that even being discussed either no i i think you know you get your like you get some people that talk about it but there's really not a con like a complex conversation about it i think mm-hmm. you know the biggest thing i roll i i i will always watch the weather my favorite time of the year to hunt and i will burn every single personal day vacation day whatever is the first cold front of like opening the opening two weeks of season you know, that last week of September, when you get that cold front where it's been 90 degrees and it drops down to 60, 70 degrees, I know, like, that it's a guarantee that deer are going to be moving because it's the first day it's been cold. You know, there's deer are going to, they're going to feel good and they're going to want to go out to feed a little bit earlier, especially if you get some rain coming. And that's, like, the part that I really try to key in is, like, the first cold front of the year. That's, that's like, the, to me, that's the holy grail. I, I love that that week. Uh, I'm not a big rut guy. I, I, I struggle with the rut, and I, I, I'm not very successful. I've shot deer in the rut, but I've had my bigger encounters early early year or late season, you know. But I think Why people, do you think that you've struggled with the rut? Um, well, first off, I am very bad at judging deer that I don't know, and I always think, oh, my goodness, you know, like last year, I thought the deer that I shot was 130, 140 inches because I could only see brow tines in his G4s or G3s, excuse me. And I'm like, that's a good deer. That's a good deer. And I ended up shooting like a 110-inch basket rack 
because he was coming through the thicket and I, you know, you know how it is when they're moving, they're chasing does. Mm-hmm. You you don't got, I don't got 20 minutes to watch this deer come across the field. I got five seconds to stand up, grab my bow, draw, get him to stop and shoot. And so I'm always a little bit more hesitant in the rut because I've passed deer that I, I know I shouldn't and then shoot deer that I, I, I shouldn't. So I, I try very hard to capitalize before the rut. That's yeah. I think there's also something to be said because you are probably one of the first people that I've ever heard say, well, you're definitely within the group of it that have talked about that cold front in early season. And I was listening to a podcast the other week, and that's actually when like the biggest traditional uh, buck got killed. It was the first cold front in uh, early season buck came down an hour before dark and that hunter was able to get a shot on him where he had just been seeing him at night the entire time on his cameras yeah i've i've had some awesome encounters early you know i've seen i've seen a lot of deer early and it's just even you know going back to what i said earlier you know i'm very unsuccessful in the aspect of deer hunting but at the same time i am successful because it's an accomplishment anytime when you're bow hunting to have a mature deer within 50 yards of you i take that as an i take that as an accomplishment and you know people discredit me because you know i don't have 170 deer on the wall and i you know i don't have a massive horn collection but you know I, i i i i do have that experience of like you know hey you know it's september 28th it's gonna be 64 degrees tonight and it's cloudy you know i hey if i gotta call off sick you know (laughs) i'm going to the tree stand because historically you know like i said earlier knowing knowing that deer move during that time frame it's you you don't get very many opportunities of that buck that you are chasing to daylight and that's always a given that's like hey that's usually when i get my you know, you get your deer daylighting, you know, like right now up until they, they drop their velvet, you know, they'll daylight, they'll, they'll come out in the field at six o'clock in the afternoon, evening, whatever you want to call it. But that's just like, I, I feel like that first cold front sets the pace because those deer, are, you're like, Hey, fall's coming. You know, I'm going to get, it's right before the October rule, if you believe in that. And, um, I just think it's a great time to capitalize and, those deer aren't really pressured yet too. So they're kind of a little bit more relaxed. And I, I just feel like you have a better percentage. I, I, I can't break down the science behind it, unfortunately, because uh, I struggle with the science. I just know, I just know facts, if that makes sense. Right. Just, right. Y- no, I mean, it, you're, you're, de- you're definitely onto something. And I, I agree with you. If, <clears throat> if you look at it from, let's just say uh, an anecdotal uh, type of way, there's going to be less pressure on those deer, so they're not going to be pushed towards nocturnal. Uh, as far as their metabolisms go, their metabolisms are starting to change. Food is changing, so like their summer feed is now switching over to their fall feed. Uh, that first cold front kicks in. Their biology makes them want to go increase their efficiency, their intake, their food intake, so that they can prepare for whatever that front is. That way their body can maintain its metabolism. Uh, I think one of the things that people really overlook and we're talking about like this whole mentality aspect and like the mythology behind it, the myths behind it. Uh, you look at the rut. Yeah. A lot of big bucks are killed during the rut, but 
there's also a shit ton of hunters in the woods during the rut too. So it's not exactly like you're car- you're comparing apples to apples. You know what I mean? Yo, yeah, because you know where I hunt, nobody hunts until the last week of October. Exactly. So I have the whole woods to myself. You know, uh, I you, you know the the biggest thing too I like to focus in on is when we're hunting. Like I'm talking to the people that hunt very small parcels is knowing what your neighbors are doing too, mm. and you know using them how they hunt to your advantage. And quite frankly, you know, I like to capitalize early because I don't have to worry about, you know, you or the other neighbor, you know, stinking up the woods. I, I know it sounds terrible, but you, you get. No, you're hundred percent right. Yeah, and, like, I would love to see, I would love to see the actual statistics of the man hours put in the stand during the rut versus the man hours put in the stand during the early season and then uh, compare and contrast how many Pope and young bucks are killed in early season versus the rut based on man hours. And then the, uh, like, like what you're, you're getting at there. If you're in a pressured area, you might be dealing with 40 guys within, I would say easily within a mile. Oh a yeah. You can smell you from, who knows how far? I mean, I would say, depending upon the terrain, the wind, so on and so forth, could potentially easily smell you at 400 yards. So, like, you're not even in the game at that point. Oh, yeah, and, and you'll see that. You know, I've I've sat there before, and, you know, I know the, the neighbors, you know, they have a tree stand just on the other side of the power line. And, you know, I, I believe in my thermals. You know, I'm always, you know, I'm always dropping the milkweed. That's something I've done for years. You know, I, I love it. And, you'll you know, you'll watch where the wind's going. And you hear deer blowing, but if you think about it, where that deer's blowing to where I know a neighbor has his tree stand, that deer just picked off that guy two, three hundred mm-hmm. yards away. And the only thing it does is it either screws me over because I'm trying to capitalize on that, or it's going to help me because now that deer, instead of going left back into his parcel, he's coming back to me. And if that doe's hot, you know, that he can come to me, but... Um, I would say, you know, you see a lot on social media too is during the rut, you see people that you really don't even know hunt hunt during the rut. And, you know, that, that's extra people that are hunting. And it's just, it creates, it, I don't want to be rude, but it creates almost like a competition because now I'm competing with my neighbors to capitalize on that, I say, three, five-day window where your buck typically daylights. And now, you know, I've seen it time and time again, I have a buck that, we can kill he's daylighting and then two days later the neighbor kills him because that was his second set of the season and to those guys credit too at the same time if you love to hunt the rut you're actually doing better because you're not stinking up your woods early and you're not those deer aren't getting familiar where you're coming in and out of your tree stands or where your tree stands are so they're helping themselves too and i don't want to discredit the guys that love to hunt the rut but at the same time it hurts the guys like me that you know I've been putting my hours in all year and, you know, I got everything figured out and October 26 rolls around and now there's a hundred guys within 200 yards of me. That, that really sucks. But yeah, but I think, I think that there's a lot of variables that go into play there. So whether or not you're hunting public or private land, if you have, if you're hunting private land and, or if you're, yeah, if you're hunting private land and you have a situation where, all right, yep, I'm only going to put four days in this year and I'm only going to hunt this piece for those four days. Yeah. With what you said about 
not putting pressure on that, you are definitely stacking the chips in your favor. Oh, yeah. But if you're hunting potentially public land that's getting basically piss-pounded all year long and you're only going in for those four days during the rut when you're going to see an even larger increase in hunter numbers and an even larger increase in man hours being spent in the woods because you always hear it, well, who put in all day sit today and how many deer did you see? Like, So oh. now your scent's staying in the timber for, I don't know, 12 hours. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, and uh, it goes back to the, the conversation, you know, you can't kill what's not there. Now what wasn't there all year on your cameras could very well show up. Yep. Because now, you know, that parcel that nobody hunted all year, you know, they're not watching their wind walking in, you know, they're just pounding it, you know, same stand every day, you know, spooking deer, bumping deer. Now that deer's like, all right, dude, like, I got to find a new house. I got to find a new home, you know, this, mm -hmm. this ain't it chief. So he's like, I got to get out of here. So next thing you know, he comes on your parcel and you're like, oh man, you know, you were just dis discouraged all year. And now it's like, Hey, I, I got something to talk about. And you know, that, you see it all the time. You get your nomads. You get your nomadic deer in the rut that just that you haven't seen all year, and they show up. But it's kind of circling back to the conversation that you know, not, you know, can't kill what's not there. That the pressure helps dictate that too. If you're going Do you in, think that's a viable tactic. What's that? The the uh, I guess it really depends on your location, but keying in on hunting pressure or yeah let, let's just say keying in on hunting pressure during, during certain times of the year and making hunter, hunting pressure work for you but I think there's two and I'll caveat it with this I think there's two different scenarios okay so you have scenario one where you're basically hunting the same general hunting area all year long but you know that there's another piece of private next to you or whatever that is going to get hit during a certain time of the year hard and pushed you out of there versus uh, a piece of a piece of timber that you're not hunting all year long but you know it's going to get hit during a certain time period and then getting in there knowing that the deer think that that's going to be a sanctuary for them to retreat to it may not be ideal habitat but it's a sanctuary for them to retreat to. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I believe it 100%. Like, when you capitalize on pressure, you know, I have trails that deer don't use all year until the neighbors start hunting. And, you know, it's like a back door. They can slip out real quick out of the mall full of roast. They don't know they bumped them, but I do because I see them leave the thicket, you know, hit the saddle, and then they, they you know, they sneak off. You know, they're not tails up. They're sneaking, you know. And if you know, like, hey, I know you're hunting today, you know, you sit there midday when you're going to go 10 o'clock, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go get lunch. You know, you, you sit there and you wait on it. You know, you, it can happen. You, you, you can see deer, and I know it because I've seen it. You know, you hear the neighbor's four-wheeler start up. They come, you know, mowing down the field edge. Next thing you know, you got 30 deer running by you, you know. You can, you can capitalize on it. But... I will say this, we were very successful growing up. We had a lease that um, that people, um, it was surrounded by public land and people would push deer in there and we would go in during gun season and be very successful, very, very successful. 
you know, I think we have like, I think we shot like seven deer over 150 inches out of there. The biggest, the biggest being my dad's, it was, it scored 168 inches and it had a broken, broken brow tine. If not, it would have been a Boone Crockett, you know, and we just knew, you know, you go in there during gun season when everybody typically like you let people gun hunt and you'd go in there like the Saturday, Sunday of gun season and you'd capitalize on it because you just, you just know, you know, everybody's walking on public land. They're pushing deer around. Well, Hey, we got this parcel that, you know, it's thick, it's nasty. You got swamps, you got beaver lodge, you got ponds and deer just hide in that nasty stuff. And you just slip in there and just, we just, we killed some biggest, we've killed some studs. And only reason why we knew that is because the pressure you, we try to bow hunt it. It's just so big and so vast that, you know, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't capitalize as well as you could during. And granted, you know, you do have a firearm, so you can shoot a little bit further. But being able to capitalize on that when you know that they're there makes a difference. Do you do you think the deer are in there outside of the, like the the high pressure season? I, I they're there. You know, I just don't think they're there number wise. Like you, you you know you have your deer that live there, but like the deer that you know we've shot you know they're deer we never saw before mm-hmm. so you know so it's that makes a difference you know that they came from the lake or whatever that pushed them in there so you, you just going back what we talked about earlier knowing your deer you know i i keep a pretty good inventory on my deer so i kind of have an idea of what what we have what's there what's present and you you can tell also by the characteristics of their horns, you know, if they have the same genetics, you can tell that if it's an outsider or not, you know, all my, all my deer here are, are tall. They're tall, maybe 20 inches wide, but they're tall. My dad's farm where he hunts, they're very wide, short, short tined. So when you see a deer that typically, you know, they all look the same. And then one day you see a deer that's heavy and short, then you're like, all right, you know, that's not, it's not Frederick or whatever, whatever name you named him, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I have a spot that I hunt in rifle season with the bow that is very similar to that swamp. It's much, much smaller. It's really small. It might be like five acres. Um, but bucks aren't in there at all, all of archery season. But during rifle season, like the, this this past year, for example, on the second Saturday of rifle, I saw seven bucks in there. Three of them were shooters. Yeah, you know, um, it, like I said, going back to it, you can't kill what's not there, and not knowing, you know, what's you know, you can't if something's not there, you can't kill it naturally. But like you know that hey, during archery season, I'm wasting my time. The percentage of me shooting a buck in here is very very small so why not just let it chill let it go unpressured slip in during rifle season and increase my odds by a lot right you know and that that's you doing your homework you keep in the inventory you know hey you know i need to hunt second saturday of rifle season because that's typically when the deer are pushed in there you know and i think people don't realize it's not a throw a camera out check it twice a week kind of operation if you want to be successful it's an operation that you need to it's 365 24 7 you know so to expand upon that a little bit 
what would you recommend to somebody that's kind of trying to figure this game out? Like, what would be, let's just say, like, five points, all right, to start picking up on these, quote-unquote, sanctuary areas, um, how to go about learning your deer herd, uh, travel patterns, that kind of stuff. What would you recommend so that they can learn these tricks of the trade? I, I'm a believer foot feet on the ground, you know, uh, I do a lot of my scouting, believe it or not, after season, February, March, when we get a lot of snow on the ground, I can follow deer trails back to bedding areas. And that way, excuse me, you come back in the fall, summer, I'll, I'll set cameras up between where I know that bedding area was and where they were going to. And if it's like, hey, you know, there's not a lot of deer here. Okay, well, I know, hey, wintertime, they're bedding close to that food source. So, you know, come, you know, November when it starts getting cold, I'm going to key, I'm going to come back on that. You know, I'm going to come back on that, check it. You know, hey, it's December now. We got snow on the ground. Guess what? They're hitting that bedding area because they only have 100 yards to go to that cornfield or whatever and utilizing that. And just knowing your deer, I mean, it's, it goes two ways. You either you put your feet on the ground, you walk, you risk bumping deer out of there, you know, summer, early fall, trying to figure out where these deer are. Or you just put, like me, dude, I'll put 30 cameras on seven acres. Like, I don't care. I'll put every single, I'll put every camera on every tree if I have to, that I know where these deer are going, when they're coming through, what time, what weather, what moon phase, you name it. I just want to know when they're coming through. So I'm not wasting my time. And I think people don't realize that, you know, if they put one camera up and one from property, that's very deceiving, very, very deceiving on what you really have there. And I, I wish people would realize that, you know, it's, you know, some people, I will say they're not financially fortunate enough to be able to buy a hundred trail cameras, but you finding deer trails and learning the topography of the land and, you know, keying in on how those deer cut the topography and that very, that makes a difference, you know, and it's, and it's this experience thing. I could tell, you know, Hey, during the rut, I love to sit down, downwind of a bedding area because bucks will come, you know, check the bedding area. But if you don't know what you're looking at, that doesn't do you any good. You know, you need to walk and you need to find that bedding area. You need to find beds where you have a cold frosty morning. You can see where they were laying all day. You know, you can wind bump them, you know, I, I don't know if people believe that, but sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. It sucks, but sometimes you, you do got to run deer out for a day just to figure out what the heck's going on, you know, but have I have you noticed, have you noticed any like major negative effects when you've done your postseason scouting? Like, have you kicked a buck out and then? You, you didn't see him the next year? No. Nah. Same. There's there, Where I'm at, there's so many people that if I'm not walking, somebody's walking. You know what I mean? Like, I hunt. Mm-hmm. I'm hunting 50, 100 yards off people's backyards. You know, I'm, I sit in my tree stand. I can hear a high State Buckeye game, which I love. You know what I mean? You know, Buckeyes are at a 32-yard line. You know, they're hitting golf balls down the woods and stuff, and deer are walking by. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, yeah, I, you know what I mean? Like, 
I think some deer just don't care, you know, and I think some deer do care. But if you have a six and a half year old deer that everybody within 3,000 miles is trying to hunt, you bump them out a couple of times, you're probably not going to see them again. But at the same time, you know, if you're running inventory and keeping your, you know, watching deer, I, I, I don't think people, like, when they sit in a tree stand either, I don't think they, they watch deer. I think they see deer, but they don't watch deer. And, agreed. you know, I watch what they're doing, where they're going from, where they're going to, how they're acting, if they feel pressured, if they're relaxed, if they're tense. If they know I'm there, if they don't know I'm there, if they're worried about the neighbors, if they're worried about the cows, if they're worried about the dogs, what's going on. And that helps me understand what's going on with my deer. You know, if I can see them, they're a little skittish, eh, I'm going to let it cool down for a week or two. You know, let them let relax and come back in when I think the time's right. I think people really overestimate how um... – skittish deer can be like of bumping them out of your bedding or the bumping them out of their bedding areas so like for example i think that especially as deer get older maybe not quite as much when they're younger because they're still kind of trying to figure out the game and they don't have as much experience with negative uh, interactions but let's say you're on like a five-year-old deer and you're in its postseason you bump it out of that bedding area I personally feel like that that deer realizes that it got away and that bedding area is that much better. Now, if you go and do that five times, more than likely it's going to go somewhere else. Yeah. I, I think that a lot of times they honestly just loop back and then go right back to bed. Um, oh, I listen to a podcast. I forget who it was with. Um, maybe it was Andre DeQuesto, maybe. He was talking about it. How he'll if he'll bump a buck out of his bed, he'll circle back around and hang and bang a stand and try to catch that buck slipping back into that bedding area. Mm. And you know, during the rut, you know, during deer season when you can do that. And I think deer I think I agree with that. You know, they like, hey, you know, I let this guy walk right past me. He didn't even know I was here. You know, I don't think they think like that, but you know what I mean? They they have that sense of accomplishment that like, hey, this worked. I didn't get killed. I didn't get shot. This you know, I'm safe. And they know if they can circle back around and go back in that they're fine. And right. that's well, – Look at it like this. Look at it like this. Yeah. As a kid, when you're playing hide-and-seek, did you go to the places where you were able to hide and <laughs> get away from the potentially the person that was trying to catch you? Yeah, but – uh, when, I, when I played hide and seek, I climbed trees. So <laughs> that doesn't count. <laughs> that doesn't count, you know. But yeah, I do agree. You know, you have that spot. That, hey, hey, nobody's gonna find me here. Let's just slip there. And I think deer do that too. You know, if they get pressure, they go back to their a spot that you know they might have not been in since they've been a two and a half year old. You know, yep. but they know it's safe. And you know, that goes too when you hit a deer. You know, you. I always say, you know, if you hit a deer bad, he always turns back and goes back to where you know it's safe where you just came from you know you don't put it but if you double lung him 12 ring him he's going straight forward and that that goes to bumping them or anything you know they know they're safe they're going to go right back to where they just came from yeah yeah i i agree with that fully i agree with that fully so uh one of the other questions i wanted to ask you was with this type of mentality and how you've built this over time 
how do you go about setting goals for yourself throughout a hunting season or throughout like the year? Do you set like goals and then like tear them out where, all right, I need to hit this goal. And then when I, when I hit that goal, I set another one, or are your goals constantly changing because the dynamic of the deer herd, the, the type of deer that are on your property are constantly changing. You're always changing your goals. Um, fortunately like this year, my, my goal is really different. Uh, uh, sorry. Uh, my dad had two pretty serious heart operations this past winter. So, uh, my goal probably for the rest of my life is to assure myself that he's going to have the best hunting season that he can possibly have. And that's a goal that I, I feel accomplished because my dad taught me how to hunt and I'm kind of returning the favor, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it sounds crazy, but you know, if my dad shoots a buck, that's all I care about. But I mean, I do have goals. Yeah. You know, I have some goals, you know. I have a buck right now, you know, my goal is to kill him. You know, my goal is, like I said, I won't try to kill him the first week of season. You know, that's my, that's my whole goal. Cause I have a pretty good chance of it, but setting goals is also very good in the overall aspect of life. You know, strive, okay. striving to accomplish something that you didn't accomplish the year before the month before is very healthy for you. And it's a great mindset to live by, but my goals constantly change because I, I'm all over the place, you know, I love the fish. I love the duck. Hunt, I love the goose hunt. So, you know, my season, you know, I might wait all year to shoot 160 inch deer. And one day, you know, I see 200 geese in the field inside of the house. Guess what? It's 130 inch duck now, you know, as long as they, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and it's good. I mean, I should be more strict about my goals, but being happy is what I strive to be every day every day you know our whole goal in life is to be happy you know if you're not happy struggling grinding to shoot 150 inch deer you know dude maybe just shoot 125 inch deer you know i mean like you know be happy embrace it you know be thankful that you know the deer gave up its life and you got the opportunity to do it but uh goals are tough for me because like i said i'm all over the place but i i, I set goals and you know, a goal a couple years ago is I wanted my girlfriend to shoot her first, very first deer ever. And she shot a beautiful eight-pointer, or excuse me, nine-pointer. Beautiful nine-pointer. And that was my whole goal for the season. I wanted Paige to shoot a deer. She's never done it before. You know, and I was super happy, and that, that was like the icing on the cake. You know, and I was a, mm -hmm. I was filled the rest of the season. You know, hey, if I don't shoot a deer, you know, that's okay. Last fall, my goal was we I had a, a hunt of a lifetime. I went to Montana pronghorn hunting. My goal that fall is to shoot, make sure I shot a good pronghorn. If I shot a whitetail here in Ohio, that's okay. And, and necessarily goals don't mean you have to be successful. You know, people listening, you know, I, I wish you the best and have a good season, but don't think that your goal has to be you have to shoot a deer. You know, maybe what we talked about earlier, maybe your goal should just be, hey, I want to have five mature bucks this season under 50 yards. And that's a good goal to set. You know, I want to try to get as close as his bedding area without spooking him. That's a goal. That's an accomplishment. You know, have deer so close that you could spit on them. Hey, that's that's a good goal too. You know what I mean? And it, it you, I don't want people to confuse harvest with goal accomplishments. You know, um, you know what I mean? It's like if you and I hunted together, you know, my goal would be to have an opportunity. That would be my goal. 
that would be my goal. And if we accomplish that, awesome. If we punch the tag, then we exceeded expectations. And I, I think pe I wish people would really focus on that and rather than the bigger picture. Yeah, dude, I, I, I completely agree with you. And I don't think I've ever heard somebody articulate it in such like a great way. Uh, identifying what that goal is that's uh, identifying a goal that's important to you and then understanding that it doesn't always have to be a harvest is I think extremely important because there's a bunch of different things that you can do to that are successful that you're going to be able to take away from a hunt like you said getting five mature deer in front of you that takes a lot to be able to do that oh um, getting getting close to bedding areas that takes a lot and you're going to have to build your skill to be able to do that you're going to become a better hunter out of it. Yeah, you may not have killed anything, but you're still progressing as a hunter. And I think that's ultimately what we're all should be really focusing on and less about the end result. Yeah, and I just feel like with hunting, everybody thinks that you have to be successful to be accomplished. And that's and I struggle with that because my accomplishments are different than your accomplishments. For and, sure. and, you know, my biggest accomplishment every year is I want one opportunity of, of a trophy. If I accomplish that, that's all. That's a, that's, a, that's a number one goal every year. I just want one opportunity. Some, you know, some years that's the only opportunity you're going to get, and I'm thankful for that I get that opportunity. But I, I feel like people are very, very high-strung about deer hunting. And it, it, it's very relaxing to not think that way you know yeah, it really is you know dude i've like, seen deer hunting break families up man oh dude it's nasty it's nasty dude like i can't tell you how many times i've had altercations with my neighbors that resulted in not like nice things being said mm. you, you know but outside of deer hunting we get along and right, right, yeah exactly yeah, yeah, like, oh, my God, you shot my deer, you know, whatever. You know, like, you go back and forth, and it's it's disgusting if you think about it. Mm -hmm. It's very disgusting. And I'm trying my hardest to not be toxic. Like, I'm not saying I'm a toxic person or a toxic mindset, but deer hunting changes people really quick. You know, I could say that. And as soon as I get a picture of a 230-inch deer, I might be a little toxic if I see you keying in on me. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and I, I wish we would all kind of like ease up a little bit. It's just a deer, man. It's just a right. deer. It's realistically, it's just a deer. And not to, not to sound all doomy and gloomy, um, but the flip side of it too is deer hunting has also made and brought people together and built fantastic relationships, fantastic experiences. I mean, look, I'm, I'm sure that you very, very vividly can probably come up with a handful of just awesome experiences that you've had with, with your father. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. You know, like I remember I shot my very first deer sitting on my dad's lap in a tree stand, you know, and crazy. I was eight years old with a single shot, 20 gauge I shot four, uh, four point. And, you know, that brought my whole family closer. You know, my uncle was so proud of me because I shot it at my uncle's farm. Um, my grandpa and my grandma were proud of me. And, you know, everybody was happy, you know. But at the same time, dude, you get people that, like, 
Okay. Zook shot a buck. Instantly, he poached it, or he shot it where he wasn't supposed to, and that's what's really killing the sport. But if we all, you know, we go back to when we were a young kid, and like, oh, dude, you shot a buck. Congratulations. Oh, dude, it's a spike, dude. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. hey, people lose that. They really do. Because it's mm-hmm. it's almost becoming a competition, and it's really it's really awful. But well, it's really on us because I feel like we're all united for the most part. And you can say united as in like us regular people, but that's we're all hunters, right? So we're all in the same group. But as if you take the money out of it, we all want the same thing. We want to enjoy our time in the woods and and be successful to one degree or another, however you measure success. Yes. And we need to quit fighting within each other and get back to like that kind of kid mentality where it's just like, it's like Christmas morning. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. And I I think a lot of people, the thing is too, there's deer hunters. There's people that just hunt deer and then there's deer hunters that hunt a deer. Mm. And I wish people that were a deer hunter would embrace deer hunters. And I wish people that were hunting deer would embrace the deer hunter. You know what I mean? And that's a great analogy. And because, you know, Oh my goodness, you shot a doe or you shot a year and a half old buck for meat. Like, why would you do that? Dude? Like that deer in four years is going to be a giant. Well, man, you know, Hey, he's a landowner he pays taxes like you know maybe that's what he's happy with you know maybe you know you you, you gotta embrace it because you never know what's going on in someone's personal life yeah yep. you, you know you know you see a lot you know mental health is a bigger issue nowadays and you, you, maybe that dude's sad maybe he's depressed all the time and that five pointer made him the happiest he's been in months and then you're going to belittle him on social media because he shot something that didn't fit your status quo and that's I mean, I'm guilty of it. We've probably all ruffled people's feathers before about it, but it's something that we should really settle down and enjoy it because we're our worst enemy. That's really how it is. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. And I, I, I'm in the in the position where I feel like if, if we as hunters don't come together, we may not have hunting uh, potentially for our kids or our grandkids or our great grandchildren. And ultimately, that, to me, outweighs what my beliefs are as far as, like, yeah, maybe I'm, a, I'm a, a deer hunter, and you're a deer hunter, but that's okay. I'm cool with it as long as we can come together and make sure that the tradition gets passed down because I owe it to my pap. I passed it down to me, and then I'm going to try to pass it down to my children, and so on and so forth. Otherwise, what's the point? Oh, yeah. You know, it's whatever we can do to help the next generation get involved, I'm all about it. You know, and if we keep that toxic culture within the community, that next generation is not going to want to do it. They don't want to shoot a deer and feel bad because it wasn't a deer that so-and-so said that he should have shot. And nobody wants that, you know. And you're correct. We owe it to our, our, like my dad, my uncle, you know, your grandpap, you know, to pass it on. That's, that's our, that should be everybody's accomplishment in life is to make sure that 
even if you just get one kid involved in the sport, that should be that should be everybody's goal to ensure that we have conservation in the future. Without a doubt, without a doubt. All right, Josh. Well, we're working on an hour. We're actually just pushed over an hour. Uh, I guess that was kind of our uh, our closing thoughts. But um, did you have any other points that you kind of wanted to hit on before we hop off here? Oh no, no. I feel like we accomplished everything that we uh, strive to talk about today, and a little bit more. We're kind of kind of went all over the place, but I feel like it was a very healthy conversation. And I just want people to, you know, I'm not saying what I say is right or wrong, or what you say is right or wrong, but please take the topics that you enjoyed and embraced from this conversation and put it in your back pocket. You never know when it's going to come around and help you in the future. And I just appreciate everybody listening. You guys give me the opportunity to talk today. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. It's... Yeah, dude, absolutely. I, I really uh, am glad that we had that conversation earlier that kind of sparked this whole podcast topic because this is something that, like I said, I don't feel gets talked about enough. And I feel that it was a really good conversation going back and forth between us that had some uh, had some really good good stuff for people to really think about. Yeah, even if it's like – if you don't want to embrace it, but it still gets the wheels turning in your head, you know, like you're thinking, exactly. like you're, you're going to think about it. Like you, maybe he's got a point or maybe he's got a point, you know, and it's, it's deer hunting is so controversial as a whole. So conversations like this, I love talking about because I love hearing what you think's the proper way or the way you do it and the way I do it, because I've learned it from you and you're learning from me and people can learn from the both of us at the same time if they want to embrace it. You know, be open-minded when it comes to deer hunting. It, that's the biggest issue I had was I was stubborn when I was younger. Now I'm kind of like, yeah, dude, he's got a good point. You know, I'm going to try that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's very healthy to do that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So uh, if you're willing, any of our listeners want to reach out to you and maybe bounce some ideas off of you, uh, just talk about deer hunting in general. Uh, do you want to throw your social media contact out there and how they can get a hold of you? Sure. Um, my Instagram handle is Josh underscore Zuckel. Uh, for you that don't know how to spell my last name, it's Z-U-C-A-L. Uh, it's also my Facebook name. I do have TikTok. If any of you guys are out there or TikTok sensation people like I am, it's Josh Zuckel. But that's just all fishing videos. Um, I, I have Twitter, but it, to be honest, it's just for PS5 leaks so uh unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately you guys won't be able to contact me on there because uh i'm only on there to see when a ps5 is going to be able to buy <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but yeah if you guys have any questions you can shoot me a message dm me facebook friend me i i'm pretty open you know i'll, I'll help anybody and uh, you know i'll give you what i think is the best advice that i can give and you know i'll never turn somebody away I'll, I'll never do that. You know, I might ruffle your feathers a little bit because that's just kind of how I am. But, you know, I mean that in a nice way, playful way. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, if you guys have any questions, please feel contact me or email me. My email's is 13 at gmail.com. I don't know if you guys do that, but I'm here. I'm all ears. But, all right. I'll get yeah. your contact information in the show notes, too. 
Perfect. I appreciate it, man. I really do. I can't thank you enough. Uh, like I said earlier, it's my first podcast. So I was, I was excited. It was like Christmas when I woke up this morning. So, <laughs> uh, that's cool. Yeah. Hope, uh, hope you guys have me again. I can't thank you enough. So yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll have you on again. Um, we, maybe we can do, uh, something once the season starts and kind of do, uh, like a tactics podcast of like what's going on out there, what you're doing, how you're making adjustments, so on and so forth. Perfect. I, I'd be all for it. You know, anytime, anytime you guys need me to talk, I'm, I'll talk. <laughs> but, for sure, man. But all right. I appreciate everybody for tuning in to the Whitetail Theories podcast.